Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. If you take your Bible to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. We're looking at Holy Spirit power this morning. As I was um, preparing and praying over what to preach, we got back from the NBF and I was thinking about some of the study I'd done on the, the passage that um, the text of the MBF and some of that hadn't been used and I was wondering what it was for and then as I was reading in my quiet time and got into uh, the new month, saw me come into the book of Matthew and I saw the Holy Spirit uh, working in the early uh, chapters there and I uh, you know, that's that might go with uh, that other part of, of the uh, text from the NBF. And I, I thought, well, I'm preaching. Better see what the uh, monthly theme is. And it's, uh, it's the uh, Holy Spirit tweak to our yearly theme, a passion for Jesus Christ, a passion uh, to live in the Holy Spirit's power. So... As I prayed about it, I was convinced that this is what we would be looking at this morning. Holy Spirit power in our lives. Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. Read verse 1 to 5 and then 9 to 11. Verse 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And as we read this, note how uh, often the Holy Spirit is mentioned. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now drop down to verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. There's a lot there. We'll touch on that in a moment. But we see here the, the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Uh, intrinsic in the working in our lives. And typically the Holy Spirit is either overly talked about um, amongst particular Christian uh, groups or is where, where that is not the case is then typically the most undervalued part of the Christian life. So the question for us this morning is where do we sit on that spectrum? Where do we sit when it comes to the Holy Spirit's power on our lives personally? For most of us, I would guess, other than prayer, that perhaps the Holy Spirit's power on our life is 
the most under, underused aspect of being a Christian. And here in Romans 8, we see the contrast initially between the Holy Spirit in a, in a Christian as opposed to the non-Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit uh, in their life. And then in the subsequent verses, we then uh, see the, the difference between the Christian who has the power of God in their life and the Christian who does not have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer firstly. Father, we love you and Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take your, your word and work it in our hearts and in our minds that we would understand firstly what your word says and secondly, Lord, that we would respond uh, in submission to your word and in obedience to your word. Lord, I pray that each believer here would leave with a fuller understanding of what the Holy Spirit's power should be like in their lives. And for, Lord, those here that know not Christ yet, that haven't accepted Christ as Saviour, Lord, I pray that they would leave this morning knowing what they need to do. Lord, I'm mindful of uh, the uh, anniversary service taking place in Sapporo, Japan, uh, this day. Thank you, Lord, for 30 years of your goodness for uh, the Evans and the church at Suzerain Bible Baptist Church there in Japan. And we ask that, Lord, you would bless their service, their anniversary service today. And, uh, Lord, we ask likewise that you bless your word to us and the remainder of this service. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So first we see here in verse 2 <clears throat> the fact that the fact that the the Christian is free from the law of sin and death. That is uh, the biggest contrast uh, here obviously between the Christian and the and the unbeliever. Freedom from the law of sin and death. And without the Spirit of God dwelling in our life, because it says the Spirit of, uh, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Without the Holy Spirit being in the life of a believer, we haven't got salvation, we haven't got, therefore, freedom from sin and death. But then verse 3 tells us that the, the law, the Old Testament law, that we otherwise would be under if we haven't got freedom from the law of sin and death, that it is weak to, towards God, that it's weak towards righteous, the, God's righteousness, and that that... that um, that is opposed to the righteousness of God because it's the Old Testament law is us trying to do, trying to do what God would have us to do, trying in our own effort. But that's opposed to the Spirit of God. See, when we strive to do and strive to be, that's all our own effort. Where's the Spirit of God in that? And in verses 2 and into 3, the law was weak. Not on God's side, on our side. Because the law was weak through the flesh. Our flesh couldn't physically keep it up. We couldn't keep being good enough to match the law. The it's not saying that the law had a problem, it's saying that we had a problem with the law. 
Because as we're doing this effort and, and striving, we either can't keep it up because we're sinners, or, well, and in addition, not either, in addition, not only can we not keep it up because we're sinners, but it's our own effort. It's our own striving. It's our own attempt to be righteous. And that's not the righteousness of God. Our own attempt to be righteous is our righteousness, not God's righteousness. And verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, but that wasn't possible. And so then we walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. When we place our faith not in ourselves to meet and match the law, but we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, as verse 2 says, he's made us free from sin and death. As we place our faith in Christ, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comes in and through the Holy Spirit's power, we can fulfill all righteousness. We don't have the Holy Spirit and then become Christians. We become Christians by placing our faith in Christ, but at that moment the Holy Spirit comes in. But the righteousness of God that we couldn't attain, verse 4, because of our sin, that then becomes ours. That righteousness becomes ours because we've placed our faith in Christ. Now, did you see how much the Spirit is mentioned through these verses? In verse 1, 2, 4, 5, and, and right through, again in verse 9 that we read, uh, 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit is mentioned right through there. It's all talking about the Spirit of God and that the Christian has the Holy Spirit and that the non-Christian doesn't have the Holy Spirit. But there, there is a second contrast here that we see, not just the contrast between the Christian and the non-Christian, but secondly, there's a contrast, and it pivots at verse 9, between the Christian who is yielding to the Holy Spirit's power in their life and the Christian who isn't. Both have the Holy Spirit. But one is doing things their own way still and the other is yielding to the Spirit's working in their life. Now, as we talk this morning about the Holy Spirit, perhaps you're here without Christ this morning, you haven't placed your faith in Him for salvation. The, the, the benefits and the, the, uh, some of the, um, the things that we talk about the Holy Spirit, they can be yours as well, but they can't be yours until you place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. But as we look at, at this second contrast here from verse 9 onwards, the Christians, all Christians have the Holy Spirit working in their life, but not all of us are yielding to the Holy Spirit's working in our life. Now, why, why does that happen? It's because we run out into the day with our own ideas, our own plans, using our own abilities, our own senses, our own will, our own determination. And so it's us going about our day. It's us doing everything as opposed to yielding to the Spirit's leading in our life and the Spirit's enabling in our life. See, it's not that the Holy Spirit isn't powerful in some Christians and is in others. It's that the others are choosing their own way. And in choosing their own way and their own strength, they're not using the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's strength in their life. So verse 9 we see 
I'll read it again. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you're a Christian, you have the spirit of God. But as Christians, we have a choice. Because verse 10 and 11 show us that because our otherwise spiritually dead body has been made alive by the Holy Spirit, we can be quickened, we can be made alive by the Spirit of God working in and through us. Or we cannot. We can keep doing things our own way and in our own strength. Look then at verse 12, please. Therefore, brethren, Christians, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye, after, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify or kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Is it talking about physical life and death? No, it's talking about spiritual life. We can live through the Spirit's control, but we need to, verse 13, mortify or put to death, or as verse, uh, as, uh, verse uh, 36 says, if you... Uh, look in verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed or mortified all the day. It's the same word. Verse 13, we need to mortify the deeds of the body. We need to mortify our own efforts. If we are to have the Spirit of God's power in our life, if I'm to live with a passion for Jesus Christ, I need to have the Holy Spirit's power. Because it's just like we can't fulfill the Old Testament law, or we couldn't. In the same way, in my own strength, I can't live the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life. We're still sinful. We're still mortal. We're still fleshly. But in the Spirit's power, yes, we can yield to the Spirit's leading in our life. Yes, we can yield in obedience to God and His leading in our life. So can we look from here at three points of the Holy Spirit's power in our life? Firstly, come with me to Zechariah. It's the second last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 4, please. Zechariah chapter 4. <clears throat> Why is it that we sometimes have the Holy Spirit's power on our life and sometimes not? Is it that the Holy Spirit is only sometimes available to us? No, firstly, the Holy Spirit is a permanent presence. Zechariah uh, chapter 4, you're turning to, and here we see <clears throat> a returned Judah, and they're struggling with the temple reconstruction. And the, the reconstruction is not as stunning as the previous edition. It's not as grand, it's not as, as, as fancy. And the work has stalled, partly through discouragement, partly through opposition, partly through distraction. And the prophet, Zechariah, uh, the, the writer of this book, and Haggai are prophets to these folk. And they're trying to encourage them to rebuild. And then in, as we read this, we'll read of Zerubbabel and another... 
we won't read of Joshua, but Zerubbabel and Joshua were more of the, the physical leaders of, of this work. Zechariah chapter 4, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is waked out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, or this is the answer that you're to give Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Just like any menorah in Jerusalem, this, this lamp, this is not a, a candlestick, if you're thinking of a romantic uh, table setting just a gold candlestick here and maybe another one there if it's a long table. Um, no, no, this is a, the Jewish seven, seven lamps. One at the top and two, 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 one either side on three separate levels below that. And each of those lamps had their own little reservoir of oil at the base of them, that was the source of, of the, that, that would keep the flame going. What's described here initially is just a regular Jewish candlestick. Seven lamps, all with its own little reservoirs. And the one for the temple was not allowed to go out day or night wasn't just an evening, let's not trip over ourselves while we're ministering in the temple kind of light. No, it was to represent God's presence. And it wasn't to go out because God's presence was to always be there with the Israelites. But God's drawing an analogy here and when we come to the New Testament, the analogy is there as well. That that this candlestick, because it's connected directly to the trees, now remember verse 1 said this was a vision, okay? If you go home and, and get a candlestick and, and tap a pipe into your olive tree that of course you have in the back garden, it's not going to work. Olive oil doesn't come from sap, does it? It comes from the squashing of the fruit. This is a vision. Don't criticize, you have strange dreams too. And they don't work when you wake up. But the analogy is that this lamp with its reservoirs would have permanent access to the olive oil of the tree. The pipes would continually supply oil and this would be the, a permanent thing. But it's not the, that's not the solution. Ah, oh, okay, go. we'll just go and uh, replumb the, the temple menorah and then, then we'll be right. No, that wasn't the solution. The solution was take that Zerubbabel and think about it. You, you're striving, you're pushing, you're trying to make the temple reconstruction work and it's not working. It's not by might. It's not by your physical power and the people's power. It's by my spirit. That's how you're going to accomplish this. And the same is for you and I as Christians. 
that we have the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's only when we have His enabling in our life that we're allowing Him to work and lead and guide and, and be the Holy Spirit that He is in our life, that we have the power. Because we're tapped in as Christians, we're tapped in to the Holy Spirit. We have His presence in our life. But if we're trying to do it by might and we're going about our day in our own power and our own wisdom and our own ideas, then we have the Holy Spirit's presence but we don't have His power. And we see from this illustration that God gives uh, Zerubbabel a picture of the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit working in our life. There's a permanent connection. And it's again mentioned in verse 9 of chapter 4. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. Uh, No, it's not verse 4. That's a great verse, but um, I'm looking in the wrong place perhaps. It's mentioned, okay, verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And so we see it again that both parts of the vision, it's it's mentioned again that there's this permanent connection. Come with me. Back to the New Testament now. As you go to John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. So there's a permanent connection to the Holy Spirit. As you go to John chapter 14, I'll remind you of what we read in Romans chapter 8 verse 9 at the start. But ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It states that either you have the Spirit and you're Christ's, or you haven't got the Spirit and you are not a Christian yet. So the question would be, do you experience the Holy Spirit speaking to you through your week, through the day. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God, either you've completely silenced Him or you're not a Christian yet. There's no two ways about that verse. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's there's no other interpretation of that. If you do not have the Spirit of God speaking to you, then you're not a Christian. And I would plead with you this morning, let's get that fixed. You can have the Holy Spirit working in your life and speaking to you, and leading you, and guiding you. And you don't need to go through your day in your own power. The Holy Spirit is a permanent presence. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Christ here is speaking before then praying. He's teaching about the Holy Spirit, and he's about to pray about the Holy Spirit's working in believers' life. John chapter 14, verse 17 He says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Christ says he won't just be with you, he'll be in you. Now look at verse 16. And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter, referring to the Holy Spirit. And he shall, uh, sorry, that he may abide with you some days. 
if you've got some days you've got the wrong translation, you're in the wrong verse perhaps. No. What does it say? Let's say it together. Last, ver- last word of verse 16, forever. In reference to what? The Holy Spirit's presence in the believer's life. Forever. The Holy Spirit is a permanent presence in the Christian's life. He is in you and therefore his power is available for you in your life. His power to obey. His power to obey God's leading in your life. His, pa- his power to obey as you read your Bible each day, as you see a principle, oh, I need to apply that to my life. His power to cope with the things that come your way each day. The pressures and the, the worries, the things that, that concern you. His, the Holy Spirit's power to cope with those. What about the Holy Spirit's power to be the witness that we ought to be to those that are without Christ? It's daunting to tell somebody that without Christ they'll spend eternity in hell. And yet with the Holy Spirit's power, we can do that. God is there to help and to guide and to enable you, Christian. So why live in the flesh? Why live in our own strength? Why cope with the pressures that we have in our own power? Why strive to obey God's word in our own strength when we have the Holy Spirit's power and it's his permanent presence in our life? And yet, if we don't make the effort to obey and yield to the Holy Spirit, we won't have his power and enabling. An unbeliever here this morning, without Christ, you, you can't have the power to cope. You can't have the Holy Spirit's enabling. You only have your own efforts. And without Christ, your future is perilous, but your time now is hopeless, literally, because you don't have anybody other than yourself to help you. So the Holy Spirit is a permanent presence in our life. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, still here in John 14, the Holy Spirit is a powerful guide. Verse 26 But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit is a powerful guide. The Holy Spirit will teach us. The Holy Spirit will bring things to mind and I don't know about you, but I need all the help I can get to bring things to mind sometimes. His guiding presence in our life is not just to say, hey, go over here, but it's when we get there, what do we say? What do we do? He'll teach us what to say and what to do. But instead we charge off into our day and on into temptation, and on into powerlessness, because we don't go with the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's enabling. Because today is Tuesday, and I always do this on Tuesday. Where's the Holy Spirit in that? Now, we should have some structure. But if we're still doing things because we always do it this way, and this day, and that order and this is always after that where's the Holy Spirit in that perhaps today I need to go and talk to that guy over there which interrupts the order but he's not there every day you can't talk to the guy about his need of Christ every day or every Tuesday 
eventually he'll see you coming and hide if he doesn't get saved. But, right, where's the Holy Spirit's leading if we always do things always the same way because we feel comfortable about that? That's not the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. That's us feeling comfortable about life. Can I let you in on a secret? Every weekday, ending in Y, and every weekend, we do things the way we do things because we plan to do them that way. It's not rocket science, but that's why we do them. But where's the Holy Spirit's leading in all of that? In our planning, in our preparing? If we're giving him no thought, if we're not as we... No, no, I plan to do it this way, I better do it that way. If, if we don't leave opening for the Holy Spirit to change our plans, if we don't, in our planning, ask the Lord, is this how I should do it? How is the Holy Spirit going to lead us? We'll be powerless and we'll be leaderless. And yet we have the Holy Spirit's presence in our life to lead and guide us. A powerful guide. But we're not availing of that guidance. Go with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. In chapter 3, we see John baptizing and Christ, <clears throat> Christ appears uh, at the end of, of um, John's baptizing and he is also baptized and the Holy Spirit comes on Christ for his ministry. Chapter 3, verse 13 Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer, or allow it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now Christ is, of course, already God. And yet, he's in human form and he comes to John to be baptised as a testimony to those around him to say, we need to, we need to repent towards God. John's baptism wasn't a baptism like we would have following somebody's salvation as a picture of the gospel. John's baptism was for the Jews to demonstrate, yeah, I need to demonstrate repentance. And I'm putting my hand up today to say, I need to repent towards God. And I'm going to do it publicly. Now, Christ didn't need to repent towards God. But he came to do it publicly so that others would see, okay, he's ready for ministry now. He was already ready for ministry. But... In the eyes of everybody else, he was now also ready for ministry. But we have also here, just in passing, an opportunity to see the Trinity. Because Christ is coming up out of the water. The voice from heaven is saying, this is my son. And the Holy Spirit, in verse 16, has just descended on on Christ. Not as a dove, like a dove. Doves, unlike most birds, land vertically. 
So the Holy Spirit came down on him in a more, it wasn't like a, a pelican or a duck coming into land, it was like a dove coming into land on Christ. Christ is in full submission here and he's yielding to the Holy Spirit's leading in his life. Yet when it comes to the Holy Spirit's powerful guidance in our life, here's God having the Holy Spirit come upon him to lead and guide him who needs no leading and guiding because he's God and here's us as Christians who need all the help we can get and yet we're striving to do things in our own strength and ability, in our own wisdom rather than in God's. There is no sense in that, beloved. None whatsoever. We're so busy following our own ideas. But if God, Christ, can yield to the Holy Spirit, I think we can yield to the Holy Spirit. And yet our own ideas, for many of us, lead us to temptation and trouble. For many of us, our own ideas just lead us off into our own little world, oblivious to what's reality. And many of us, our own ideas just lead us into the mundane life of the village folk. We're not living in an Enid Blyton book. We're not village people. We're children of God, led of God to do what he would have us to do, not what the person across the road does. Yes, it's Saturday and he washes his car, but we don't have to do that. We're children of God. We can break out of the mould of what village life looks like and be children of God. We're supposed to be spirit-led. Now look again at verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven, Matthew three seventeen, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Holy Spirit led him into an opportunity of temptation. And we might say, oh, well, if that's the case, I get myself into enough trouble. I'm not going to yield to the Spirit if the Spirit might sometimes lead me into temptation. No, but the difference is, you and I lead ourselves into trouble. And we lead ourselves into temptation. And then we face that temptation in our own strength. What Christ did here was he was led of the Spirit and faced the temptation. Verse 3, Satan misquote or misconstrues a passage. And verse 4, Christ quotes a passage back and refutes uh, Satan's theology. Verse 6, the same thing happens. Verse 7, Christ refutes it. Verse 9, the devil again misquotes Scripture. And verse 10, Christ quotes another passage back and refutes him. And verse 11, then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Brethren, we, we fall at the first one. Nothing comes to mind. We go, oh, that's a good opportunity. Yeah, nobody's watching. Yeah, I'll go with the temptation. Nobody's going to be affected by it. It's just me and the temptation. And yet we have the Holy Spirit's power to resist it. But we've just charged off into our day in our own strength and so it's no wonder that we don't have the Holy Spirit's power to face that temptation. And yet with a little bit of the Holy Spirit's leading, we can do this. 
I don't want to be blasphemous, but here Christ doesn't withstand Satan as God. He withstands Satan as a man. Yes, he's God, but he doesn't do anything supernatural. He doesn't call down angels to attack. In the Holy Spirit's leading, he's in the place of temptation and John, uh, John 14, 26, the comforter will bring things to mind and he quotes scripture back to Satan. And that Satan doesn't give up. And he gives another temptation. Here's another opportunity. John 14, 26, another scripture comes to mind. He's not doing anything that you and I can't do in the Holy Spirit's enabling. Yes, he's Christ. Yes, he's God. And yet, you can quote verses back at the Satan if you've been in the Holy Spirit's power. And therefore, even in temptation, the Holy Spirit is a powerful guide in our life. But in obedience the Holy Spirit is already a powerful guide. Where are you needing advice this morning? What area of your life do you need a nudge or, or some extra information? If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is there to lead you and guide you. You have that power available to you, Christian. Get in the Spirit. Ask the Lord to lead you and guide you through his word. What area of life are you struggling in? And then finally, just quickly, the Holy Spirit is a permanent presence. He's a powerful guide. The Holy Spirit is a potent difference. A potent difference. We, we saw what the Holy Spirit di- does through Christ here. But in chapter 3... Verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Verse 5, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, this is John speaking, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruit, meat for repentance. The Pharisees haven't come out to be baptized. They've just come out to watch and stand around so everyone can see that they're spiritual. But these other ones are being baptized and... John says to them, hey, you guys need to do what these guys are doing. You're standing there thinking that you're all spiritual and you're better than them because they needed to repent, but you're just spiritual, you don't need to do that. No, you vipers need to repent just like these ones that you're looking down on. Did you see there, he says, who hath warned you, in verse 7, to flee from the wrath to come? Look in verse 10. Now also, still John skinning them alive. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth forth, sorry, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Mightier than I. Now we've read the end of the chapter first. He didn't know Christ was about to appear. We know in hindsight that he did just about, did just appear. Um, He that is coming after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I don't know about you, Christian, but I've never been baptized with fire. 
But when I accepted Christ as Saviour, the Holy Spirit came in. Christ's baptism would be with Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, again, there's a potent and powerful difference here between the Christian who's empowered and can withstand Satan at the end of the chapter into the next and these Pharisees that had no power. Now, they weren't Christians, but they were setting themselves up to be religious but powerless. And that's a picture of the Christian who has the Spirit but has no power in their life. It's specifically mentioned in verse 7 that there's wrath to come for the Pharisees and Sadducees unless they repent. Now, presumably, unlike the baptism of the Holy Spirit then, he's talking about the coming of Christ bringing judgment on the unrepentant and the fire of judgment to come, still to come, even in our day. And that those like the Sadducees and Pharisees who wouldn't repent before a holy God, their baptism wouldn't be with the Holy Spirit's filling. Their baptism would be a baptism of fire, as in judgment. And in, in relation to the coming judgment, these ones haven't yet stooped before a holy God. There is a potent difference between somebody that has the power of God on their life and the one that doesn't. And we see that played out here in chapter 3. Yes, Christ was God. Yes, the Sadducees and Pharisees didn't have, they didn't have the Spirit of God. But we see how disparate we can be when we don't have the Holy Spirit's power in our life. So how about you? There is a potent difference between a person that has God's power on their life and the one that doesn't. Have you received Jesus Christ as your saviour? If you have, the Holy Spirit is dwelling not just with you, Christ said, in you. But have you, are you yielding to the Spirit's leading in your life? Are you the Christian, the power that, that, that you ought to be, that has the power of God on your life? And if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Saviour, this power is available to you through the Holy Spirit but not until you accept Christ as Saviour. Let's bow for prayer. Let's be upstanding.